excitement, rather. We don't like conflict. We don't like opposition. We have a a wrong tendency to believe that if we're doing what's right, then the circumstances of our lives will go well. We get really upset. We get discouraged. Maybe we even get angry when things don't go according to our plans. When we say, if I, if I do this, this should work out next. And yet, oftentimes, that doesn't happen. Sometimes we even blame God because he's not measuring up to our expectations. He's not coming through like we think he will or should. Now, I want you to be comforted by the fact that this isn't just an us issue, an American issue in the 21st century. This is the nature of the human heart. Remember, Job's friends came to the exact same conclusion. You're suffering, obviously, because you did something wrong. This is the reason in our text that Paul begins verse 12 saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters. You need to have this information. You need to be informed. We have a tendency to believe we know how things should work out if God is on our side. But remember Job with his boils and his grief and his agony. Remember David in the wilderness who's running through no fault of his own. Remember Paul in prison. Remember our Christ, the innocent one suffering on the cross. You see hardship in our lives is the tool that God often uses to accomplish his purposes. When faced with difficult circumstances, our natural inclination is often to complain, to run from them, to escape from them, to look for the fastest way to change them. But serving Christ and even suffering for him must become more valuable to us than our comfort or our ease. How does that happen how can that happen that is foreign to us that is unnatural Paul's going to show us how in this text this morning look down now at verse number 12 we'll read through the first part of verse 18 this is God's word to us his people Paul writes I want you to know brothers or brothers and sisters church family that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word, the gospel, without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, those who are my friends, do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those rivals, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me, to make things harder for me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's ask for his help as we look at this text together this morning. Father, we come confessing that our natural tendency is to run from pressure. 
is to view hardship from here below on a horizontal plane as always negative. To seek for safety and security and prosperity and ease and comfort. And yet we know that when we follow Christ, you have told us that the way is not easy. That we must be willing to follow our master's path who suffered. So give us the mindset that Paul explains for us here. Help us to see what you would have us to see from your word. We need your grace. Spirit, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. In the name of Christ, amen. In this text, Paul is concerned that the Philippians not be discouraged by what is happening to him. There is that tendency. Remember what we know about them. They're a relatively young church. Paul himself has planted them in this Roman colony. They're surrounded by unbelievers, those who believe that Caesar is Lord. They loved Paul. They cared for him deeply. And they're facing the same government opposition, the same culture that is against them that Paul is facing. And knowing that Paul was now imprisoned in Rome, they are struggling to understand what God is doing. Bad circumstances seem to indicate that God is not for us. But that's not a right conclusion. They're probably thinking, why would God ever deliberately allow such an effective minister of the gospel to be shut away? To be chained up and put in prison? This seems to go against the mission, doesn't it? This would be like benching your best player in the championship game. Why would you do that? No coach in his right mind ever would. So what is God doing? How can this be part of his plan for his church? For Paul? For them, the Philippians? What we'll see this text teaching us this morning is that choosing to see God's sovereignty in difficulty produces joy. There's a mindset that Paul models for us here that we must embrace. Now, what do I mean by seeing God's sovereignty in this passage? What we'll see Paul explain is his recognition that God will accomplish his mission. No matter what obstacles seem to be in the way. God's sovereignty overcomes all perceived obstacles. Now, why am I talking about sovereignty here? Where do we see that in this text? Well, I want you to see I'm not making this up or putting this on top of the text. Look back again at verse 12, and then we're going to compare with verse 18. This is the first and last verses in our passage, the top and the bottom. Paul tells the Philippian believers, what has happened to me? It's a passive verb. Something has occurred or, or happened. Circumstances have come against him. But he says has really served to advance the gospel. And we end our text with the phrase in verse 18. In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, the things that I can control, the things that I can't control. The rivals and my friends, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. We see Paul also exercising his theology as well when he says in verse 13, my imprisonment wasn't my choice, 
My bonds, my chains, is for Christ. Look in verse 16. He says that his friends who preach the gospel out of pure motives recognize what he does. And he says that I am put here. Who put him there? For the defense of the gospel. Whose idea was this? Paul didn't place himself in these chains. This wasn't his plan. This isn't how he drew up the strategy. But here is how one for whom Christ and the gospel are most valuable respond to adversity. This is how we're to think. Doesn't Paul's outlook remind you of what Joseph says to his brothers back in Genesis chapter 50? As for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive. Pastor James Boyce writes in one deft sentence, Paul shifts the legitimate interest of the Philippians from himself to the great undeterred purposes of God in history. With Paul, the main question was not what's happening with me, but what's happening with the gospel. His focus was not on himself, but on Christ and the proclamation of the truth. Now what is Paul's mindset in this passage that allows him to rejoice in the midst of discouraging affliction and opposition? Paul intentionally, and I want you to hear that because that's how we are going to begin to think and apply this passage. Paul intentionally chooses to see God's sovereignty overcoming his circumstances. This is not a natural or easy choice. This comes as our minds are saturated with the truth and the power of the gospel. This comes as we are captured by Christ and want to make him the priority. What is Paul's mindset in this passage that allows him to rejoice? He sees God's sovereignty overcoming. What will enable you to rejoice in the midst of the affliction and opposition that you have in your life? To see God's sovereignty overcome all obstacles to accomplish his purpose in you. Now, our text divides into two sections. First, in verses 12 through 14, we see Paul encourage the Philippians to see God's sovereignty overcome his imprisonment, this affliction that he's bearing. And then secondly, in verses 15 through 18, we see him encourage them to see God's sovereignty overcome the rivalry of these opponents. So first, choose to see God's sovereignty overcome affliction. Paul begins in verse 12 by saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is not what we would have expected by somebody being bound in chains in a Roman prison. He wants them to understand both because he knows their concern for him, but also because they're facing similar hardships. He'll say that later in this chapter. Now, in a world that is becoming more and more hostile to Christ and the claims of Christianity, isn't it easy and natural to get a little quieter, to wear our Christianity with a little bit more carefulness? 
cautiousness. In a first century world where the worship of the emperor was the law of the land, don't you think these Christians would have been tempted to just try to blend in with society around them? People will see I'm a Christian by my actions, but I'm not going to say much about it. And on top of this, the most faithful evangelist they know has been put into prison. Paul's concerned to provide them a different perspective on his difficulties and on theirs. He wants them to embrace this mindset that is confident in God's sovereignty to continue to move the gospel forward, even in very hostile territory. Now, in this section, Paul refers to his imprisonment three separate times. This word can even more directly refer to how he is in prison. It could be translated as my chains. And it's describing for us in very real, clear detail, Paul is bound. He's locked up. He can't do what he wants to do, what he's always done. But the effect of these chains is what Paul is pointing at. They do the exact opposite of what we would expect. They do the exact opposite of the Roman government's intentions. They want him to be quiet, to stop preaching about Jesus. But in fact, the very opposite happens. No power, no earthly government can control the advance or stop its advance. The gospel will go forward. We would expect these chains, these very physical things on Paul's arms and legs to be a source of discouragement. Instead, they're the cause of his joy. That should get our attention. That's odd. That's not normal. We might recognize that we cannot control our circumstances, but Paul demonstrates that we can control our responses to them. You can't control your circumstances. You can't control your government or the politics or how people around you view you. You can't control the things around you, but you can control your responses. It comes through this kind of a mindset. Let's see God's sovereignty overcome affliction. In verse 13, we see that affliction provides opportunity for gospel witness. How? How can Paul view his chains as a positive? He gives us two reasons in verses 13 and 14. They're a benefit, first, for the sake of unbelievers. Paul's chains have given him this unexpected, incredible access to share the gospel. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now the imperial guard that Paul mentions here are Caesar's palace guards. The emperor's own elite troops. They're like the secret service agency for Rome. Now, they have constant access to Caesar himself. This is the closest Paul has ever been to the emperor. Now, because of the nature of Paul's crime, most scholars believe that these guards would have been chained directly to Paul in four-hour shifts at a time. So just picture in your mind, I, I, I smile when I think of this. You have a new guard being chained to Paul every four hours. How do you think Paul sees that opportunity? this a problem to him? I have a captive audience. He can't get away. 
I'm going to tell him whether he wants to hear or not. Over time, the entire guard would have heard about this man and the reason for his imprisonment. Imagine, just picture in your mind, how unusual this prisoner would have been to them. When a new guard starts his shift, he's going to ask, why are you here? What are you in for? And Paul's answer would certainly have been unique. I'm under arrest for preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar. Paul's witness spreads beyond the guards in Rome. Verse 13, the end of the verse says, to all the rest. We don't know exactly who is meant by that phrase, but we do know that Paul desperately wanted to go to Rome to encourage the church there and continue the spread of the gospel. I doubt this is the method he originally had in mind. This wasn't the map he drew for himself. And yet, here is his testimony that God is at work in an incredible, unexpected way. We're also given a wonderfully encouraging detail that Paul puts at the end of this letter. Take your Bible and turn to the last few verses in chapter 4. Look it down at verse 22. This is no accident that Paul includes this. He writes, All the saints, the believers, greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. How did saints come to be in Caesar's household? What do you think? In the very heart of a culture that wrongly emphasized that Caesar was God. In the place that the gospel's advance seems least likely to succeed. Paul includes this little phrase. To remind the Philippians. To remind us that God is able to work no matter what obstacles seem to be in the way. There are no obstacles that can hinder the gospel's advance. There are none. These aren't obstacles. They're only opportunities in God's mighty hand. Even when things don't go the way that they seem like they should, God always works them out for his glory. See his sovereignty overcome. Charles Spurgeon shared the story of a man arrested for preaching the gospel under the reign of Queen Mary I. She was well known for her merciless persecution of Christians and as her guards were transporting this man to London to face his execution, they treated him roughly. They, they were beating him, mistreating him. He told his persecutors, his guards, that God was going to somehow use this, even this, for his glory. Even their abuse of him. As they continued to push him to the ground, his leg was broken, causing them to be delayed. This delay meant they arrived back in London a day later than they had intended. And when they arrived, they learned that Queen Mary had died the day before. And Elizabeth had taken her place. So instead of this man being burned at the stake, this faithful minister was freed because of his broken leg. Spurgeon concluded that God was the almighty alchemist. By that he meant he takes base metals and turns them into gold. He takes seemingly difficult, impossible circumstances and glorifies himself through them. 
God doesn't always provide freedom to the captive or relief to those in pain, but he is able to turn the worst of situations into one that glorifies him. Next, affliction provides opportunities for believers to grow in confidence. Now, Paul provides a second reason for how his chains can be a good thing. Instead of being a discouragement to the Roman Christians, his imprisonment has had just the opposite effect because of how God is advancing his word. He writes in 14, And most of the brothers, the majority of them, having become confident in the Lord, by my chains, dare all the more. That's how we could translate that phrase. To speak the word fearlessly. To not be afraid at all in the heart of Rome. Notice carefully where their confidence is coming from in the verse. They are confident in the Lord. Not confident because of Paul. They're seeing what God is able to do through Paul's afflictions. If you put your eyes on your circumstance, on men, you will close your mouth and be afraid. If you put your eyes on your sovereign, all-powerful God, you will open it courageously. That's what Paul tells us. God has used Paul's chains to make them all the more confident to speak of Christ without fear. Isn't that what we would all desire? This letter is written likely at some point in the 60s AD. We know that means that Nero, Nero is the emperor. His madness is increasing. And in just a couple of years, it will break out in full against Christians. There's pressure to silence them in Rome. That pressure would have been great. And yet Paul joyfully explains to the Christian church that against all logic, against all of what you might assume, the opposite is happening. These Christians are speaking out with great boldness. They're daring to speak fearlessly. Paul's not just putting on a brave face for these believers. He is modeling. He's encouraging us to see how a gospel-centered mindset makes all the difference when facing difficulty. This is the lens through which we're to view all of life. Our God is in control and is on a mission. Am I a part of that mission or am I sitting back only caring about myself? Paul's imprisonment is hard and yet God is using it to spread the gospel. That was Paul's mission. That's what he wanted. So if God's plan is for him to be in prison to do that, that's fine. Paul's response is joy. Michael Reeves writes in Authentic Ministry, Suffering has always taught me far more than ease. I don't always understand what I'm going through at the time or why, but as I look back, I'm so grateful for what the Lord has led me through. Trials have left me less attached to old addictions. It's left me more contented, so much more joyful and free. Even under intense affliction, a Christian can do more than just cope. A Christian can actually profit from suffering. This is only true because Christians are the children of an omnipotent and loving father. Even our trials are in his kind hands. 
Have you learned to see the obstacles of life as opportunities for gospel conversations? Think about it. Why has the Lord allowed you to see so many doctors in the last several months, if that's your circumstance? Is there one of them that he may be preparing for you to speak of him? Ask him to give you the boldness to speak, not just with glib Christian cliches, but to really have an opportunity to explain what God has done in your heart and in your life, to point them to him. See, every circumstance, whether favorable or unfavorable, as an opportunity to bear witness of what he's doing in your life. Do you think the car repair that you're so frustrated by was just an accident? Somehow that slipped God's notice or moved outside of his control. Is there someone at the repair shop that God intends for you to speak of Christ to? Not long ago on a Sunday evening, we were able to hear the testimony of how taking the time to turn a conversation to the gospel during a timeshare presentation afforded them the chance to talk of Christ to a person in need. Ask the Spirit to open your eyes to the person to whom he would have you share the gospel. We are never in any circumstance, not one, apart from his sovereign direction. In verses 12 through 14, Paul's mindset demonstrates God's sovereignty overcomes affliction. Now in verses 15 through 18, we see his sovereignty overcome unexpected opposition. Choose to see his sovereignty overcome opposition. He writes in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. When we read this, we should not overlook how surprising it is. The surprise comes first from the fact that these are other believers. These are believers preaching Christ. But they're doing so with wrong motives. They're using Paul's imprisonment in selfish ways to elevate themselves. But even more surprising is that Paul responds with this kind of outlook. Usually we expect him to speak against opponents. To condemn their opposition. But this is an opposition to the gospel. This is just their opposition to him personally. And he says if the goal is for the gospel to be preached. Even with bad motives. If, if Christ is preached. I'm going to rejoice. He's not saying it's okay that they have wrong motives. He's saying the goal is what I'm focused on. Not them. I can't control other people. I can control my responses. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It's unclear as to why they're so envious as they've become rivals. We don't have to look far into our own experience to recognize that Christians very often sin against one another because of selfishness, because of pride. That's just like all of us. Most likely they wanted some kind of attention, some kind of recognition that Paul was getting. They go so far as to use his imprisonment to put him down in order to elevate themselves. Paul is going to, in chapter 2, warn the Philippians themselves of doing nothing out of selfish 
ambition. Certainly this is our human condition. Paul's conclusion is that God is not limited by the wrong motives of other believers. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and I rejoice. Now, these attacks certainly have the ability to discourage Paul, but his joy continues to come from this perspective. He's choosing to view his circumstances through his theology. God's still in control. He's sovereign even over the sinful motives and actions of his own children. It overcomes the opposition of other believers. So he responds out of his convictions rather than his emotions in that moment. Now notice in these few verses how many times he refers to the gospel or Christ being proclaimed. If you look carefully, it's in every single verse of this text in one form or another. Sometimes more explicitly, sometimes less. Paul's saying, in effect, my situation and discomfort are not the center of the universe. The gospel is. God's plans are. Just consider how God uses flaws, instruments to accomplish his purposes throughout Scripture. How many illustrations can you come up with in your mind? God accomplishes his purposes through a flawed instrument like Samson. Here's a self-centered, spiritually weak man, a fool that chases after the pleasures of the flesh, that ignores the opportunities and privileges and responsibilities God's given him as judge over his people. Again and again, God saves through this spiritually weak man. Think of the disciples. How often do these simple men demonstrate they don't understand really who Jesus is? They often are more focused on themselves than on Christ and what he's come to do. And yet Jesus continues to entrain and invest and to build them up. God even uses Jonah and his spiritual temper tantrum to bring revival to Nineveh. To demonstrate that God is the one who brings salvation. He's able to use imperfect vessels. Be encouraged that God's sovereignty overcomes our human limitations. Our God is able to use less than perfect vessels to accomplish his purpose. He's not limited to only working with people who have perfect motives or perfect behavior. He's able to use less than perfect churches to accomplish his will. That's what he's telling the Philippians. There's imperfect people in the church at Rome. There's imperfect people here in the church in Philippi. There's imperfect people here in the church called Suba Road. And God is able to use us. The encouragement for the Philippians is even though they may be tempted by fear to keep their heads down, their mouths closed, God is still at work in them. That's why they're getting this letter. Even though they're dealing with members in their congregation, struggling with pride and contention and selfish ambition, God is sovereignly working in them to overcome these sins. This text challenges us to evaluate our life circumstances in light of his mission. Are you viewing your circumstances only in how they affect you? What you like about them 
what you don't like about them? Are you seeing how connecting them to what God is doing in this world changes your perspective entirely? It moves you from frustration and anxiety, even anger, to joy and contentment and peace and passion to see Christ continue to use you. Am I thinking through my difficulties, my hardships, my prosperity, my opportunities as the means by which God is advancing the reach of the gospel? Just consider, you work where you work for a reason. It's not just so that you can get a paycheck. You live in the neighborhood, in the house you live for this reason. You have the family, the children, the difficult relatives that you have for this reason. You have the hardships you have for this reason. That Christ would be exalted even through them. Do I see my circumstances through the lens that Paul presents here through this mindset? Or have I fallen into the subtle trap of thinking that God's design is for me to be comfortable and have an easy life, to enjoy security, prosperity? Is that how I view my God? What we should conclude as we look and think of this text, we're to be encouraged, to challenged to see God's sovereignty overcome. How are you responding to what God has placed into your life? Maybe you're facing hardship in your relationships at home. Perhaps you're frustrated with your parents and the pressure they put on you. Perhaps you're struggling with your children and why your instruction to them don't seem to be making much of a difference. Maybe you're wrestling with a continuing health crisis in your life or the life of a loved one. What circumstances are you tempted to be frustrated by and say, God is limited by these. Are your circumstances beyond his sovereign purposes? Perhaps you're facing opposition to your faith at work. You know you're an outsider because of your faith in Christ. Will you see God's purposes for why you're employed where you're employed? The goal of this text is not to honor Paul but to encourage us to follow Paul's example, his mindset, as he's fixated, as he's been captured by Christ. His view, his choice to face hardships and obstacles with joy demonstrates that pursuing Christ is of highest value. We shouldn't conclude that this was natural or easy for Paul. He's making a conscious choice, a choice that stands before us this morning. This mindset makes all the difference when facing difficulty. So are you living this life to have ease or to make Christ known? What's your mindset this morning? Will you choose to see God's sovereignty overcome the difficulties, the circumstances, the obstacles in your life? Let's ask for his help in prayer this, this morning. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us, how it convicts us, how it urges us to pursue you. We're grateful for the life of Paul. We're grateful that you captured his heart and his mind. 
that his values above all was to know and love and serve Christ. Lord, may we be not just stirred by his example, but may we be changed. May we see Christ as this valuable. May we recognize his power to give us joy in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Here is a man in a first century jail. And he says, in every way I rejoice. Give us confidence that as we walk with you, as we fill our vision with Christ, we can have the same joy as we commit ourselves to his mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.